we are taking a whole new approach to corporate culture. We are only about 30% synced culture and then the rest is async. We are a four day work week. Um, we, we allow for complete acknowledgement that you have multiple roles in life. And so we have core working hours, um, which are school hours. And then you, you can be like doing your work in your own time. Mm -hmm. And so that culture is based on one very clear outcomes and operational excellence. Like if you don't know what you're working on and why it's important and what goals you're being measured against, you can't do any of this, right? So you have to have very clear operating procedures. And then two, a culture of trust and empathy. Hi, I'm Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host for Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm excited to sit down with Amanda Getz, CEO and founder of House of Wise. I really learned a lot from my conversation with Amanda. And one of the things that really stuck with me was her advice to take the time and put in the effort to learn about yourself, to develop a deep understanding of what you need personally and professionally to be successful. And as Amanda shares in this episode, when we know what drives us, what triggers us, and what zaps us, we're more productive, we're more intentional we're more confident, and we're ultimately happier. Amanda Getz built her own personal toolkit to develop the skills that she needs personally and professionally to be successful. Amanda just raised $2 million in a round of funding to launch her startup, House of Wise. Yet she wasn't willing to back down from pillars of the business that felt important to her as a working mom. The company has a four-day work week. Work hours are flexible and are driven by outputs and outcomes rather than hours. Amanda leads by example, juggling being a single parent to three kids and getting the CBD startup off the ground. Well, thank you so much, Amanda, for joining me today. I'm really excited to be talking with you. No, thank you for having me. I love all things mom podcasts. Like this is, these are topics that need to happen more. Fantastic. Well, Congrats, first of all, on the recent round of funding that you just announced. That is absolutely huge. I really want to talk about House of Wise, and we will get into that in more detail in a little bit. But I want to backtrack for a minute and hear more about the, your professional journey and like what led you to this actual moment of founding House of Wise. Yeah. So I grew up on a farm in central Illinois. My town is 800 people. I'm a first generation college grad. My dad is the town plumber. My mom was a stay at home mom, wife. And I, that led to a lot of subconscious things throughout my journey. Um, one being I got married at 19 and that was kind of my like I guess the subconscious in me was saying your identity comes from who you marry. Mm -hmm. And so that led me to get married very young um, and then went on to, to work at Ernst & Young for a few years, uh, managed their Entrepreneur of the Year program. And so my dad is an entrepreneur in his own right, starting his own plumbing business. But then I got to be in the front seat of, um, you know, 
eventual Fortune 500 firms, analyzing them, shepherding the entrepreneurs through the program. Did that, that led me to New York City uh, with my husband at the time. And then we were focused on starting our family. And so I always did things I felt like a couple of years ahead of like everybody else my age. And then when I went to New York, it was like so much more. And I found myself eventually um, at the height of my career. I did a tech startup that eventually failed, but led me to The Knot, where I was leading marketing at The Knot for over five years. The Knot got acquired by a private equity firm. We merged with our biggest competitor. I was doing exactly what I had always wanted to be doing, which was leading a big brand that I loved with a big team. And I had three kids under the age of four and I had filed for divorce. And I was dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety um, in addition to already the stress and anxiety that we deal with as working moms in general, um, but layering on the divorce and all the kind of guilt and shame that I was processing from that. And it, it led me to, you know, drinking the two glasses of wine at night that I feel like all of us had turned to during the pandemic. And that was increasing my anxiety, worsening my sleep. And so I started to really become aware. And I just woke up to realizing like what was putting, what I was putting into my body was not helping me and serving me anymore. So I started to research cannabis because I don't, I, I, I'm a nerd and I like to research everything that I'm doing before I do it. And I realized like all the health benefits that can come from this plant, but it has this huge stigma and also the socioeconomic history of cannabis in general and like legalization and, and criminalization and all of this stuff. And I realized I started taking CBD during the day and microdosing THC, never getting like, you know, the psychoactive high and realizing like my life was changing. I was feeling better. I had more energy. My anxiety felt under control and I just felt in the driver's seat again. But the problem was I just couldn't find brands that spoke to me as a mom. Like everything had, you know, marijuana leaves on it and everything had names like Mary Jane. And I was like, I'm not trying to get high here. I'm just trying to help with my anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so it led me to realizing there was an opportunity to create a brand that spoke to women and also had functional ingredients that actually helped. So we have, we have sleep, sex, and stress. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I quit my job in the middle of the pandemic when I realized all my friends were reaching new lows that I hadn't seen before. And I want, I truly just wanted to help them. I mean, you've said how you're really only inspired to work on problems that you can relate to and that are in line with your personal mission of supporting and empowering women. How did House of Wise grow from your passion to support and empower women? It's funny because that that is so true. Like I don't work on things unless I wake up every day and I'm like, I understand the consumer. I understand the pain points like personally. At the knot, it was interesting because I was going through a divorce while working at the world's leading wedding company. But what I channeled into the brand there was that we should empower women to think about 
marrying who they want, when they want, if they want, and focus on body positivity and relationship health. Like, it, yes, you're planning a wedding, but you're planning a marriage too. And I think the industry does, didn't spend enough time on the, the other part. Mm-hmm. And so that's how that kind of infiltrated into my brand there. But then with House of Wise, everything about this brand is personal, which as a founder, they always say, don't wrap your identity in your brand. Um, but when I feel better and I have more energy because I'm, I'm paying attention to what I'm consuming. Uh, and people are always asking me like, how are you juggling like single parenting and three kids and et cetera. And it's like, I make sure I get a great night's sleep. I make sure I take care of myself. I'm making sure that when I'm dealing with an anxiety attack, I allow space for it and I acknowledge it and I I have things. So like, it's about creating space. And this brand is about giving women permission to say, I might need help and let's give you the help. And, And with House of Wise, we say we're this intersection of community content and commerce because when you come to House of Wise, and if you want to be a wise woman, if there's like, I can share more what that means, but um, you get brought into a community of women who are now talking about all the roles that we play in life, whether it's your professional life, uh, a parenting life, your sexual life, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Like we are multi-hyphenates and we want to acknowledge that fact and have a community where you don't feel like you can only live one part of yourself. Well, and it's also seems like everything that you're talking about is this idea of self-care being important, being critical for you to be your best self in all of these roles that you play. And it's not a bubble bath on a Sunday night or a manicure pedicure with your friends once a month, it is about these like core investments into knowing, you know, what you need in order to, to be your most successful stuff. So you, you touched on this a little bit, but what does, what does self-care mean to you? Like, what does that actually look like in your life these days? Self-care to me is rooted in the freeing of guilt and, and that is a work in progress thing, Mm. but in order to free myself of guilt, I have to make everything intentional in my life. And so intention is huge. And I feel like it's a buzzy blurry word. It's like starting to like become the new self care, like buzzword, But so intention to me means I am very conscious about the choices I'm making. That means if I am working and not with my kids, I'm making that choice to give all of my attention to the thing that's in front of me. And I'm not with my kids right now. And that's okay. And vice versa, if I log off at four o'clock because I want to have a fun kid night, my brain is fried and I'm ready to like go into mom mode and I don't look at my emails for four hours, I'm saying, I'm going into mom mode right now and everything else can go wait. And that's fine too. And then on the other side, it's like, if I'm going to put my kids in front of the TV because I had a really long day 
and I need to go take a, an hour bath and scroll TikTok, I'm going to say, I'm giving myself tonight as kind of a break. The kids are going to get Uber Eats. The kids are going to watch a movie. I'm going to take a bath, put them to bed and watch my show. And I'm intentional about the fact that this is a lazy night for me. And everything, when you draw attention, intention to it, frees yourself of the guilt because you've now said, that's what I'm doing. And I'm going to give it a hundred percent, even if that hundred percent is laziness, like I'm going to have a lazy night and I'm going to give it my all. <laughs> well, and I love that you said it's a work in progress because as I'm, I'm nodding along with you as, as you're sharing all of these things, because I think it's really hard. Like ha- what's given you the, I don't know, confidence or the acceptance that you can give yourself this permission and that uh, you don't feel guilty about it? How have you let go of the guilt? So I will say that this is something that's just coming with age as well, because I now know myself so well and that I know how to get into flow state for work so much faster. I know that from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m., I will crank on work. Cause that is when my brain is functioning at its highest. I got my coffee. I'm going, the house is quiet. Knowing yourself is the key to relieving yourself of the guilt because doing that work and being in therapy and understanding what makes me tick and what's triggering me and where that guilt is coming from allows me to like set better boundaries. For example, I get triggered if I use any like 10 minutes during my work time to like scroll social media, which we're all guilty of, right? Like if I open Instagram, I am triggered by seeing other moms, if they're stay-at-home moms or whatever, doing things with their kids. I feel guilt because now here I am taking a break from work and not going to be with my kids. Mm -hmm. So I've now set more healthy boundaries and I go to Twitter during my work time instead of Instagram, because I know that I may be more triggered if I go to Instagram, but it's just knowing yourself and what your boundaries need to be. And then loving yourself enough to adhere to those boundaries, because if you don't adhere to those boundaries, you're not taking upon yourself to be slightly masochistic. Um, So I think that those are really important. And I think intentionality, like going back to what does self-care mean to me, it's understanding that it's okay to not be okay sometimes and to say my feelings in whatever this moment is, is valid. They're valid. Let me process them and draw light to them. I, I process my feelings by speaking them out and saying, wow, something about this moment is making me super anxious, super nervous or whatever, um, super angry, like whatever it is. Because I think as women, we've been called emotional our whole lives. So we try to like just totally suppress those emotions, which makes it so much worse because now they're bottled up and getting mixed up with other emotions. And we cannot suss out what is what, what is past trauma, what is really just reacting to a current situation, et cetera. And I think we have to like allow us as women to say, it's okay to be emotional. Like we should actually be proud of that. 
Well, and I think it's so important for our kids. Like I think about this. So I have a three and a half year old and a 14 month old and the three and a half year old, whenever he's having this temper tantrum, we talk a lot about how, oh my goodness, you're having these huge feelings and these feelings are like bursting out of your body. They're so big and they're so strong. So let's talk about it. Like, what are you feeling? And are you frustrated? Are you angry? Are you sad? Like, what is it? What are these feelings? And it's so interesting to me in this moment right now, I'm realizing, wow, how unfair to sort of expect that of our kids and to teach them how to speak their feelings and use their words. And then we can be so guilty of keeping all those feelings inside and not communicating and outwardly sharing. It's such a moment to model for our children. Yeah. It's, it's this whole concept of presence, which are like everything in this world is really working in the opposite direction of presence, right? We have so many distractions. Our mind is going a mile a minute. We're being pulled in so many, you know, different roles, whether it's work and parenting and all the like invisible labor that comes with having a house or having, you know, kids or even having just like a relationship and and parents and all that stuff, all that invisible labor, that, that idea of presence. And if you actually sit in the moment allows you to say, what am I feeling right now? Mm -hmm. But we we're so busy that it's like hard to allow that space. And so with our products, there is a real reason why like, when you take the sex gummy, let's just take the sex gummy, for example, it takes about 30 minutes for it to start to kick in. But the second you take that sex gummy, you've now made yourself present and aware that you are going to focus on pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden you might like turn on different music or you might go take a bath or you might watch something and you've now given yourself this space and presence and like complete presence in that moment to say, what does pleasure mean to me? How do I feel? How does my body feel right now? Because now you're waiting for the, like the actual physiological effects to kick in of this gummy, but just now turning your brain into like, what is stimulating to me? How do I feel? Like we don't allow ourselves those moments to check in. And I I think our, that is a big thing for our products that I hear from the women is like, I actually was able to like get into a new headspace for this. Well, and it's, it's really about what you were saying earlier, this intentional like behavior where when you're taking the gummy and you're carving out that space, all of those steps that you're doing are with intention and making that time and space for yourself. Exactly. Um, Well, one thing that I really appreciate you, about you as a mom, as a founder, is that you're so open about it all. You are, um, you know, really building your business for everyone to see and bringing everyone along with that journey. For better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> what made you decide to really do all of that in the public eye and? share these really personal pieces of your life with everyone else. There was one moment I can like recall now zooming out. Like if we were to go to dinner, you and I, you would know more about me than you'd probably ever want to know because 
I have always just been an open person. And so it's not artificial. Like it truly is how I am. I speak on social media, how I speak to my best friends. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I've approached it. But there was one moment I was hosting like a brunch with a bunch of people from my community in the Upper West Side. And it was a bunch of women. And I had just found out I was going to have to go through fertility treatments. Mm -hmm. And I was like processing that. I felt Mm -hmm. guilt. I felt like I wasn't like a woman because I couldn't produce a child like on my own. Like it was, it was a lot to process in that moment. And there was a girl that I had known for a few years and I shared it. I was like, not going to lie. I'm not fully like present right now because my brain is spinning on these other things. And I shared with her what I was going through. And she was like, oh my gosh, we just had a miscarriage last month. And she told me that. And we had seen each other in that month. And she put on that brave face and was like acting bubbly and acting in the moment. And yet she was going through something so horrible. (laughs) And I was like, it was only because I was vulnerable first that allowed her the space to be vulnerable. And so I'm trying to like figure out what this like network effect is of vulnerability, but there is something there that when someone goes first and takes that first step, it allows other people to feel that the space is there to share. And vulnerability without boundaries is is also something to talk about. Not everybody wants to be vulnerable and not everybody needs to share their stuff to process it. Like everybody processes differently. But in during my time, when I like started tweeting more and started sharing, my DMs would just explode with women being like, thank you so much for sharing this resonated. I don't see a lot of people like me also talking about these other aspects, like people who are executives at big companies and also talking about how hard it is to manage relationships and kids, et cetera. And I'm like, if I have to be the one that continues to put it out there so that other women feel safe to do so, because it's natural to me, I'm, I want to do that. Now, is it always easy? It's still scary to put myself out there and what I'm going through out there. But my, again, it just goes back to why I feel like I've had to go through so much stuff. Like all the things I've had to deal with in my first 35 years of life, are a lot. Like it was a lot to go through. And I just felt like the the hits kept coming, but you have two choices when you go through something hard, you can either choose to grow and use it as a growth opportunity and help others. Um, or you can really like sit with it and let it take you down. And, and, um, I, I, my choice was to just like say, I'm going to use these moments to connect with people and help people. Well, and I feel like it's given you also the opportunity as this voice and somebody who's going first to blend these personal parts of your life and really be open about how they impact your career or your your working life and your professional life as well, um, yep. which for women often feels like the two shall never meet, right? Like you should yep. hide all of these things. You should be 
you know, not if you're if you're leaving the office early, make it for any other reason other than I'm going to see my kids. Yeah. Right. Um, and so there's I, I think not only are you sharing it publicly and that has such value, but but what you're sharing and the content you're sharing is so helpful um, and being such a role model and changing other people's opinions um, as well because of your position um, and and the level of success that you've achieved in your career. I, I think we're seeing it even in the VC world. Like I did not quit my job when I raised my first round of capital because I'm a single mom and I needed health insurance. Mm -hmm. And so I had to find investors that understood that I do not look like the 26 year old white male from Silicon Valley, but I know what I'm doing. I'm going to build this company. I need to do it in my own way. Will you be on board? And many people said, no, they said, you have to quit your job. I'm like, well, I can't. Mm -hmm. So you either are on this this idea and this vision of that you can build a company in a different way. And you had, I had to work extra hard. I think that that's important is there are a lot of things that we could just sit and complain about, or you just accept that I'm going to have to work harder to find the right people. So that was it. And the way you find the right people is you put yourself out there unapologetically and say, here is, these are the non-negotiables. And here's the steps that we will take for me to transition to this company full-time. And for me, that was, I raised the pre-seed round, kept my day job, built it nights and weekends, you know, a lot of 5 a.m. times. Then transition, once I started to get closer to launch, transitioned, and I found a half-time CMO position where I was working two days a week for another company building their go-to-market strategy. Now I had three days a week dedicated to House of Wise, but I was on someone else's health insurance at the time and not paying myself for House of Wise. Then we soft launched. We were out in the world for four months, December, January, February, March, four months while I still had another job. And I went out in those three days a week and started raising the seed round and said, when I close the seed round, I will quit this job and move into a full-time position. So every step of the way, they saw the path Mm -hmm. and they were behind me in knowing that I knew how to get there. Wow. That's so incredible. And in many ways, I can so deeply relate as a as a fellow founder. Um, when we started neighbor schools, I wasn't able to join Brian and Cedric right away for the same reason. I had to keep working, had to have child care, had to have yeah. all of these different pieces. And it wasn't until we, so I did the same thing, nights, weekends, and when we raised money and I was able to take a salary, that's when I was able to join full time. And I think, um, you know, I, I look back on it now and, and I, I think I felt really ashamed of that. And I felt like, Oh, like, am I really, am I really a founder? Like I, I wasn't able to do the quit everything and just go all in and go salary free. And it's a better way forward for future entrepreneurs to have these new and different models and demonstrate that 
you can do it and you can do it a different way and you can make it work and you don't have to be 26 to, to be you don't have to be working 90 hour work weeks like I think what you just said is like this like notion of what is a founder mm. we only have one archetype to look at and so of course we're going to compare to the only thing we've known for the past whatever we just need more examples that there are other paths. And so you are an example. I'm an example. There are other examples out there. We just have to shed more light on them so that not only other women see it, but other VCs see it. Mm-hmm. And, and that goes into corporate culture as well. Like we are taking a whole new approach to corporate culture. We are only about 30% synced culture. And then the rest is async. We are a four day work week. Um, we, we allow for complete acknowledgement that you have multiple roles in life. And so we have core working hours, um, which are school hours. And then you, you can be like doing your work in your own time. Mm -hmm. And so that culture is based on one very clear outcomes and operational excellence. Like if you don't know what you're working on and why it's important and what goals you're being measured against, you can't do any of this, right? So you have to have very clear operating procedures And then two, a culture of trust and empathy, which is like where many corporate cultures try to remove all the emotion because they believe that that it conflates and distracts. But what I'm finding is when you actually make space for empathy and emotion, it actually increases velocity. And once people understand each other, then all that extra noise actually goes by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And, and so we spend a lot of time establishing trust so that we can move faster and understand each other. Well, I love how this whole section of what we're talking about, too, is really touching on how parts of our personal life manifest and and show up each and every day in our work life. How has your motherhood journey from infertility to having three young children, how has that played a role in your professional path? It's definitely made me approach my career differently when I started to have kids, I realized I didn't have as much bandwidth. And this is probably the start of me being way more direct and, and non-emotional at work. And I just stopped having time for the bullshit and the politics because at the end of the day, if we weren't working towards a goal that was very clear or there was a meeting that had no agenda and was just felt like a waste of time. And the person leading it wasn't had, didn't have a clear like objective. I started to call those things out because any hour that was not productive to me at work was then taking away from my time as a parent. And to me, that choice is very clear. Mm-hmm. And so I started, that's when I started to really, really, like dive into productivity and also management styles and how you can foster productivity in a way that um, like, I don't believe in meetings unless 
completely necessary with a clear agenda. And I think meetings are literally killing us as a society and are reducing, you know, effectiveness and flow state and productivity so much. And so it, it like having kids, all of a sudden the opportunity costs became so much higher and my productivity just soars because I know that if I only have an hour to get something done, I have an hour to get something done and I will get that done. Like time is this construct that like, if you have two hours to get something done, magically, it takes you two hours. If you, mm-hmm. you know, like it's crazy how we can like really inflate things and deflate things to fill the space that we have. Well, and it, it goes back to um, like the, this idea of the 80% rule, right? Like you can get it 80% of the way there. And most of the time that 20% is just going to be making it so incrementally better that it's not, it's really not worth it. Whether that's an email, whether that's a piece of content, whatever it is. And, and motherhood just teaches you not only what's truly important and how to prioritize things, but also like, okay, what's good, what's good enough. And yeah, like at the very tactical level, when I started having kids, my internal presentations got very ugly, meaning you don't need the pretty picture next to the words. The words are the thing that matters. And so I started like with my team, I started having this rule of like, if your presentation to an internal team is too pretty, I'm going to call you out on it because that wasn't the best use of your time. I don't care if that's pretty, like if it's going externally, of course we care about it, but like, let's like focus on the thing that thing that matters. Totally. Yes, exactly. Um, well throughout your career, you've taken some pretty big risks. Um, you shared a little bit about that when you were just talking about, you know, the fundraising journey for house of wise, what advice do you have for other moms who may be thinking about making a big change in their careers? So big advice. I mean, there's so many things, but I think first and foremost, if you don't have a group of women who are doing that thing, whatever that risk thing is, whether it's to become if you want to become a VC backed founder that, and you are a mom, find other moms that are VC backed and build that community. Where do you find them? Uh, Twitter is a great place to find people because what happens is when you start to take big risks, if you don't have people in your community that have taken those same risks, you feel alone Mm -hmm. and it makes the highs feel maybe higher, but the lows feel extremely lower. And when you take a risk and do something for the first time, there are a lot of lows because you're doing it for the first time. And that is a big learning curve. But when you surround yourself with other people who are like, oh yeah, here's how I handled that. Or I'm going through the same thing. You feel less alone. And thus it doesn't have as much scary monsterness to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would just say like, finding a community. And then you also take the pressure off of like your childhood friends or your best friends or your mom friends of like needing to 
validate you and get you and understand why you're doing this and what's like causing you to feel this like push into this like new risk um, stage of life because they're not going to and expecting them to fulfill that need for you is, is really unfair to them and unfair to you. Well, and you just spend so much of your time then trying to convey context or communicating what the problem or the feeling is that you aren't actually able to work on solving it or moving forward because you're just in this wheel spin of like trying to get them to even see or understand or relate. And that's a pretty impossible ask if you're not living those challenges. So now if we rewind a little bit and we think about before you had kids, okay. what advice would you give to your pre-mom self? So that was oh, almost eight years ago. And the advice I would give myself then it's hard because I would never change anything that's happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But the pre-kid period is a great time for Mm self-exploration. But what happens is it took me kind of hitting an emotional rock bottom and feeling like I like had nowhere, no way out to go to therapy, to understand myself. And so it took that journey to get me there. I think if I could go back to pre-kids, I would tell myself to understand my subconscious even more than I think I thought I did. And like, what is driving me? What is my driver to have kids right now? And what is my driver in my career? And what is my driver in my personal life? Because I didn't have a real cognizant holding of any of that information. And that I would tell myself to go to therapy. Well, I often think about how in school, I think about this a lot with like kids and with school and even like throughout the entire spectrum of school and how we teach kids so many things and so much knowledge. And we don't teach these life skills and these personal skills of confrontation, communication, knowing yourself, preventing burnout, like all of these things that are going to be directly tied to their success moving forward. And I love that you shared that advice. And I wish I could go back in time myself to take advantage of that advice because I think it's just so important and it's going to, you know, pay dividends, um, in professionally and personally. Yeah. And it's just a tool in your toolkit. Having therapy as a tool in your toolkit allows you to handle each situation with another set of tools, which who doesn't like, you can't build a house with just a hammer. Like, why are we trying to live life with like one set of ways of thinking about things? Exactly. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I could talk to you all day. (laughs) Um, This has been fantastic. I really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. (laughs) 
Work Like a Mother is produced by Neighbor Schools. Neighbor Schools is a startup in Boston that I co-founded in 2018 to help parents find daycare. As a first-time parent, finding childcare can feel scary and intimidating. At Neighbor Schools, we help you find daycare you'll feel really good about so you can go back to work with the peace of mind that your little one is getting the socialization, support, and stimulation they need to learn and grow. We've helped thousands of moms and dads figure out the daycare search. Check us out at neighborschools.com. And when you get in touch, mention that you discovered us on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.